Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, an opportunity to flip the script, move from despair into action, and transform shock into awe. You don't have to do this alone. You don't even have to find the others. You've found them. We're here. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, welcoming you back to Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, it's Team Human. Another live encounter with the Team Human community from the Kibitz Room, recorded September 7th, 2023. It's time to intervene on our own behalf. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. I'm just back from Brazil, literally just back from the airport. I uh, spent a few days in Sao Paulo, and then a couple of days in Porto Alegre, Um Man, what a place. So much to say. We'll have to talk about that. I was uh, being hosted by a, a group, a series called Fronteras del Pensamiento, you know, like Frontiers of Thought. They were celebrating the publication of Team Human in Brazil, Equipe Humana. Um, it was really nice. It, I mean, Sao Paulo, I mean, boy, talk about uh, wealth disparity. It's kind of like that San Francisco thing where people are either you know, working at Uber in Prada sneakers, uh, living in fenced-in gated communities or gated buildings, or everybody else is like this kind of 95% or 99% in this massive city. And then this 1% in the middle in these gorgeous places. I spoke in like a, a Philip Stark designed hotel. It was kind of incredible, the, the, the opulence and the despair. Um, then I went to Porto Alegre, which was a little bit 
uh, more mild. I mean, some wealth disparity, but you know, there was a middle class and intellectuals and artists and people. I met met a woman named Lou who has a company called White Rabbit, which is, I mean, they're like a futurist agency there for companies, but not like <laughs> like most of the ones you'd see here. You know, it's more like uh, your company needs to do an ayahuasca retreat, right? <laughs> Interesting. I guess we have those here too uh, at this point, but man, there's a lot of, um, a lot of soul there. And the, um, my main message there about, you know, not auto-tuning humanity was very much accepted by uh, uh, people who are, uh, I, th- I think, much closer to uh, music and resonance and uh, nature and rainforest and indigeneity than most of the uh, most of the people and places I go. So that was great. Um, oh, I want people to know I'm doing an event. Uh, I guess it's about magic uh, with Mitch Horowitz. I'm really soon, uh, October 28th in New York City at Caveat through uh, Digital Void, which is uh, the kind of educational cultural uh, organization started um, by Josh Chaplin, our our producer, along with a couple of his partners. Um, And they're hosting a Team Human Live in New York at the Caveat uh, on October 28th. If you're a supporting team human person, you can, uh, uh, go to Patreon. And, uh, I think the first 20 people get free tickets and, uh, everyone else gets at least $5 off. Um, and you get $5 off for, uh, uh anyone you want to bring, um, everybody else, you can go to digitalvoid.media to find out about this great organization and all the fun, crazy things they're doing and get tickets to the event. Or um, we'll put a link in the show notes and uh, somewhere on teamhuman.fm or rushcuff.com. But yeah, easiest way, just go to digitalvoid.media. But getting into that for free is just one of the great benefits of being a Team Human supporter, which you can do by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support or patreon.com slash teamhuman. I'm glad you're here now, though, to hear the uh, latest Kibitz Room conversation from the Team Human Discord server with the Team Human community. It was a, uh, I don't know, this was a really good session for me, a very healing, uh, <laughs> very healing Team Human conversation. It was for me, and I hope it is for you, too. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. So here we are Thursday, 
September 7th, the year of our Lord, 2023, <laughs> Team Human, doing our kibitz room. Welcome, everybody. It's been a crazy week for me. My daughter went off to college, not as far as all that, just into New York City to college. But man, oh man, you can spend a lot on college and still there's a lot to be desired. It's like seven girls have passed out at the school because there's no air conditioning in their dorm rooms, which uh, makes sense, right? I mean, environmentally, you don't want to be air conditioning everyone, but oh man, then you can't shove like six girls in a former single and <laughs> for them to be able to breathe. So um, she's experiencing the world, put it that way. And I am too. I, I got an office mate in my little office here to help make ends meet, but now he's doing a Zoom call in the other room, and that's the room that has the, our one air conditioner for this apartment. So I closed him in there with the AC, and I'm here here with you in the uh, in the jungle. So, hey, we'll see <laughs> see how long I last. I've got water. I'll be all right. But I see a uh, uh, Brenner. Brenna has uh, her hand up, and now she's up here. Welcome. Hey, it's great to see you. What do you want to talk about today? I've actually been really excited about your last couple episodes because they cover kind of an area that I'm interested in. I'm trying to think about how to embody spectacle in order to take it down. So I primarily write catchy pop tunes. A big part of my motivation for that is that it's a genre that gets heavily co-opted by capitalism in a way that stunts us emotionally and kind of incapacitates people from processing things. And um, my main ethos is that I structure songs for trauma by deliberately sitting in a traumatic emotion and then subverting it, which is, it's basically structured like a pharmaceutical commercial. <laughs> you know, they mm. start out in black and white, there's pensive music, they talk about everything that's wrong, and then they subvert it. It's in color, there's happy music, and the reason that that happened is because this pill fixed it. Right. So I've been trying to battle that by holding that space and not attaching my work to a product. And where I'm currently running into issues is that as of a couple weeks ago, I've started playing live shows, which is it's exciting and kind of scary, but it's fun. But the existing structure for songwriters is that you play bars and clubs and restaurants. And the problem is that your purpose there is to add to a pre-existing spectacle, you know, the goal of which is to sell beer. So that environment kind of intrinsically defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to do. So now I'm kind of looking for alternatives, you know, theater spaces or maybe doing a long form show. But in that case, I kind of think it has to be much more immersive. It has to like be its own spectacle because I think if you leave a vacuum for people to be distracted, Capitalism has kind of cultivated an inability to be bored, and it's really good at filling in those attention gaps. And so giving uninterrupted time for people to process emotions is kind of why I do this. So the kind of thing I'm stewing on right now is how do you, on a small scale, embody a spectacle to take that existing spectacle down? What's interesting, there's so much... There's so much there. I mean, while you were talking, I was reminded of, I had a conversation with Abdullah Ibrahim. <laughs> I used to, in the States, go by the name Dollar Brand. He's a, a great uh, South African jazz musician. And, um, you know, he said before he discovered Islam, he uh, was always pushing against things. He, he didn't realize that the times 
and places where he was trying to do his music were about the very opposite of what his music was. And that that was why he was so depressed and having such a problem that, you know, that he was really, he was writing music that as, as he later learned would best be experienced by people during the day and not drinking, right? And instead, he's going, trying to excite people and awaken their senses and their minds at like 11 or 12 o'clock at night when they're drunk and smoking and whatever in a, a jazz club. And it was, it was the opposite. And that was why he got, he got so depressed. So I really, I really hear you there that the, if not the mindset, at least the setting itself of most of the places where music happens is not necessarily conducive to what you're trying to do, you know, unless you're the Grateful Dead or Fish or someone, you're not allowed to set your own, your own terms. It's really hard. So I, I see that. Mm-hmm. The other part that was really that I was interested in exploring with you was mm-hmm. taking their shape. So I used to, in one of my talks back when I used to talk about like this Clearasil commercial where they use kind of Aristotelian tragic narrative to sell products. And I would talk about, oh, you know, there's the girl and she's excited. She's going to go to the prom. And then she looks in the mirror and sees, oh, no, she has a zit. And you rise up the inclined plane of tension with her. as She tries to pop it, makes it worse and puts on, you know, some crap that she gets from a friend and it gets infected and this until finally she finds Clearasil and she puts it on and, the, you know, the psychedelic colors come out of her body and it's all, oh, you know, that, that spectacle catharsis happens and then ding dong, you know, she's off to the prom without her pimple. So they inject the Clearasil, the corporate cure, into that frame. And then what I was wondering was, in the thing that you're doing, are you, I understand you're putting nothing in there, right? But you're Mm -hmm. giving them the same shape. So then Mm -hmm. the art itself, the musical experience is supposed to bring them through this journey so that they, what do you see it as almost like to practice or to use a ritual where you experience the tension and release? And then how does the person kind of move on from that? Is it just because you don't want the music to be the pill either? Right. So it's interesting. I, I, I have a couple of songs that I know are more effective than others at this because they're the, I look for specific types of compliments and the, the thank yous are the ones that I'm kind of looking for. Mm. Basically, I'm just providing a way to experience a feeling of validation without an additional input, if that makes sense. And yeah, there is like a risk of the music becoming the thing, but I'm hopeful that that it's a more free version of doing that where there's not a, if you do this, you will feel comfort. It's just a, you can listen to this for a while in process. Cause I find when I'm on the receiving end of songs like that, it helps me to kind of sit in the kind of mantra of a song. And yeah, I guess it is kind of practicing feeling that emotion without any additional input, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing, uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that either, even if it's Mm -hmm. musical Prozac or musical mushrooms or whatever, you know, we are Uh entitled to engineer our psyche and emotions. And if someone can put on a song and, and experience the, the 
relief and escape and liberation and all that without being told they have to worship a particular god or buy a particular product and without having to uh you know ingest something that may have some other side effects or uh, then great you know mm-hmm. it's closer and closer to the thing but the other thing you're talking about with spectacle is it's such mm-hmm. a problem you know because i love spectacle i mean as I, anyone <laughs> should i mean it's mm-hmm. fun right yeah. but i generally don't trust the people making the spectacle. I mean, you know, uh, Albert Spears made great spectacle at the Nuremberg rallies for the Nazis. I mean, that was the, that's uh-huh. as good as a Pink Floyd concert, right? Mm-hmm. At least for them. So it's like, I often wonder, I guess there's just like with psychedelics or anything, that set and setting is everything. There's not anything, sadly, I guess, there's not anything intrinsically good or righteous about spectacle if it could be so easily co-opted by others yeah i mean that's something i was thinking about a little bit with the um naomi klein doppelganger stuff that you talked about recently is is i feel like it's still important to embody spectacle and then hold space for it not to have kind of an imperative at the end of it right we're entitled i mean it's this that that sort of fourth step that i keep talking about where where cultivate awe you know cultivate mm-hmm. awe because it's so and it's funny, someone was criticizing calling it they, but it's not me. That's what so many of like the MAGA people get out of a Trump rally. I mean, there's so little like that. I mean, it's easy. I write about this way back when in coercion that you can tell when you're at a kind of a more dangerous rally if they kind of stoke the rage of the crowd against some common enemy scapegoat thing. You know, once you're, mm-hmm. you're riling people up with the anger you got to be careful. Not that we shouldn't be angry at whatever, capitalism and control and all that, but those are not just dangerous motions to unleash, but they're, I feel like we're more easily manipulated when it's those. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, and I, yeah, you're right. I was talking a lot about this before because of um, how I was starting to feel really, really depressed about stuff and then went to Reverend Billy's Church of Stop Shopping to experience you know, the kind of the woo together solidarity thing that I often poo-poo as an intellectual, but is so necessary <laughs> nourishment <laughs> to move on. That's why I, I like, and it is, it is about how do we break through, break through trauma. I mean, I'm also interested in when you envision the sort of the ideal event, the ideal style of spectacle for somebody to uh, be, be nourished by your music. What does it mm-hmm. kind of look like if it could be anything? Like, would it be three in the afternoon in a field with speakers? Would it be, you know? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I mean, I love the outdoors and, and daylight, but I also, you know, I also love an indoor, the lights are crazy and the animations are there. Mm. And like, I don't know. It's hard. I, I, I'm a waffler. So <laughs> Well, and you also you're a multi you're a multimedia artist. You make animations. You make yeah. all these things. So it could be some. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, every once in a while, some museum gets like a big, like sphere, and they get a, invite a bunch of artists mm-hmm. to make projections and things. You know, I can mm-hmm. see your work doing really well mm-hmm. in one of those. Like there used to be something oh. called the the cave, you know, which was this interactive installation thing. And it'd be really fun to to be immersed. In what you're doing we should mm-hmm. probably put one of your when we actually play this episode we should probably put mm-hmm. one of your 
songs early in this part of the in this discussion so people can understand okay. which which song would be the the kind of a good one for demonstrating that sort of trauma subversion phenomenon the one that i've had the most feedback from is called okay it's my second track on my album and um that one's the most straightforward like verses are about embodying the trauma and the choruses are about subverting it Fins rolling in the grass She's got better spatial reasoning Than any one of her peers She wants to ask her classmates What they think about death And what their favorite turf is She bets it's baby's breath But because she's six She can't connect with colleagues over beers And I wish that I could take Because it's like when you were describing it, I started to think about like, um, you know, New Orleans funerals that they, you know, mm -hmm. they start all sad and then they turn the corner and it, they kind of force you to just break free. You know, they convert uh -huh. it. They, they subvert the mourning because mm -hmm. you're supposed to be celebrating that their soul was released or, you know, they got to heaven or somewhere, I guess. It's like, mm -hmm. Then you, you celebrate it. It's kind of, mm -hmm. I thought about that and how music does that mm -hmm. and how tempting it is. God, that's what they do. I mean, so they're so good. What capitalism is so good at is finding any of the mechanisms that we socially or even individually discover for mm -hmm. transformation and liberation. And then they just intercede. They put in the toll booth and, <laughs> and the, <laughs> the idea that it's something mm -hmm. outside what we can provide for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tricky. But yeah, that's why I guess that for me, the most valuable thing about having those brand free or product free transformational experiences is to realize, oh, right, we this capacity is something comes from somewhere else, mm -hmm. which is then, you know, gosh, yeah, more, more of that. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I will think thank on you. this. Yeah. Uh, what do we got? Blampo. Hi, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. I have a real human name. It's Aurora. Aurora. Um, and I was really interested in, in when you guys were talking about spectacle, it really dovetails with a conversation I was having just last night. So in the last year or so, I have been training to work as an end of life doula. And if people don't know, that's just kind of a person who will step into your life and sort of help you plan for the 
end of it, which a lot of us don't know how to do anymore. Mm. And we were talking about the importance of ritual in our lives. I was raised in a sort of puritanical background, also with a family with too many kids where my parents didn't have a lot of bandwidth. And so basically we went to church every Sunday, but birthdays weren't a big deal. There weren't big celebrations in our family. I skipped my own high school graduation. I had a teeny tiny wedding when I got married. And I was, you know, it was like, oh, well, none of that matters. But over the last year, looking at at death culture, I've come to really think about the importance of ritual, not just in the sense of memorializing people, not just in the sense of like the New Orleans funeral is a perfect example, Mm. but even things like celebrating people's birthdays, celebrating a certain holiday, a memorial holiday, you know, to say like, this is something special. This is something we want to set apart. And I, I think that's something, even the small rituals are something that we don't connect with as much as a culture and as a society as we used to. And so to bring that to a question, I I guess what I'm asking is, how do we find a way to get people to incorporate that more into their lives? You know, it's kind of like earthquakes. If you have lots of little rituals, if you celebrate birthdays, if you take time out for Christmas or Hanukkah or Diwali or whatever winter holiday you celebrate, if you take If you have those moments in your life that are special to you and the people close to you, maybe you don't need to go to that Trump rally because you've been letting off. Like I said, it's like earthquakes. A bunch of little ones means you don't have to have a a great big one that's going to be destructive. Does that all make sense? Oh, yeah. I mean, totally. First, I mean, thanks for what you do. I'm not an end of life doula, but I've been with, gosh, you know, four or five people Um, as the kind of primary person there when they've died. And when you hear it from the outside, it sounds like, oh, man, that's heavy and horrible. But I tell you, from the inside, and it took me a while to even be able to um, accept that this was okay. Experientially, from the inside, it wasn't a high, but it was like the greatest honor privilege Mm -hmm. I've ever fucking had you know to be the person bearing witness to someone's passage from here to wherever if there if there's ever and for them to know that you're doing that even that you're the you're there just to bear witness to that is such and it's a jewish word it's a mitzvah and i didn't even understand what mitzvah meant until i uh, actually sat with my uh my wife's mother when she died i was the person who happened to be there and uh the mitzvah is like translates as command but it's also a blessing and it's like how could that be because you're doing it because you've been commanded to but it's it's like not like being commanded by god this dude up in the sky it's like you're being commanded by nature itself it's like the thing it's it's a mitzvah to be there. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to teach your child to read. It's like, yes, God says you got to teach your kids to read or whatever it is, or teach your kids to swim. It's like a rule because you want to have people who can swim and who can read. But if you're a parent and you've taught your kid to ride a bike or taught them to swim or taught them to read, I mean, my gosh, that's the thing you you always remember. That's the privilege. So I respect, I'm, I'm, I'm both indebted to, thank you for your service, but also 
man, what a beautiful life. It also reminded me of, you know, Timothy Leary near the end of his life. He um, started working on a book. We were a bunch of us kind of together with him on it. It was called Design for Dying. And he was really concerned, you know, that, you know, he knew drugs were a taboo and he tried to sort of undo that. But that death was this real taboo. No one wanted to talk about it. No one wanted to prepare for it because it's like everybody's scared of it. It's all that sort of Becker denial of death stuff. We have this whole society that's about avoiding the fact that that's going to come. So when it does come for you, there's like nothing, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. I got to start this from scratch as if nobody's done it before. <laughs> and it turns out everybody's done it before, just without, for most of us in the West anyway, without the frameworks. So to start to build frameworks around it, you know, and you, of course, we all have the examples of the uh, kids in Tibet, you know, who are brought to sea to witness deaths when they're three, four or five years old. So they're very used to it and they know what it is. It's not something like here in the States. We'd be like, oh, no, keep, keep Johnny away. Grandma's dying now as if. How does that help for Johnny not to know? You know, the kid knows. All they know now is there's something being stigmatized that they're being separated from. Poor little, poor things. But you know, I also identified when you talked about lack, I mean, I went through a whole trip here. When you were talking about ritual and the lack of ritual, I was that kid too, because I was always off doing theater or something else. So I'd missed the bar mitzvah, missed the wedding, missed my own high school graduation, missed my brother's high school. I'd miss everything. And theater was my excuse. And it wasn't until um, we were having dinner with this great theater teacher at one of my theater schools, uh, this guy, Morris Karnofsky. One of the group theater, the, the original Shakespeare group theater, Stella Adler, Lee Strasberg kind of guys. And there was this conversation. He was really old, so he was spaced out at the moment. And there's a conversation people were saying their religions, like, oh, I'm Jewish, I'm Catholic, I'm, someone was a Baha'i. And then it's like, Morris, what are you? And he goes, what? He goes, what are you, Morris? Goes, I'm a Shakespearean actor. And it sounded wrong, but then it was like, of course that's your religion. That's what you are and and what it made me think is is yes i want people i would love people to develop more rituals for things but maybe part of the answer to what you're saying at the end there these lots of tiny rituals is rather than creating just creating rituals what about learning to recognize our rituals you know the ones the ones that we already have that we're already living but that we don't treat as sacred that we treat them as as so mundane. You know, there's a, a teacher at Queens who's he teaches his podcasting course or something, and, and he starts his class with like five minutes of people just sort of being together. And this way, sort of what we're trying to do here, sort of Quaker meeting hall, let's just be together and call it Kibbutz Room, kind of as a as a way of, of flavoring it or or framing it as something just this is not just some online forum thing. No, it's our little it's our, our space. So I see that, that too, that, that, that lack of ritual is one because, uh, so what, what we were talking about before, if your ritual is not making money, you're not get to do it in this society, but also because it's really hard for us to recognize that, you know, the ritual at sunset, we sit on the front porch and we tell stories. Oh, that's actually... It is a ritual. And to then realize, to almost be conscious of that, to bear witness to ourselves doing that, that's the thing the AIs can't do, right? They could sit on the porch and tell stories, but they can't know that they're doing that and how that feels to do that and why it's this, this sacred moment that goes in our, our, our memory bank of, uh, of shared experience. I mean, you, you know what I kind of mean by that, Aurora? 
Absolutely. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And I actually I'm laughing because I'm remembering a, a few years back, Starbucks actually had a little slogan. It was on the window of my local Starbucks that said, take comfort in ritual. That was like your daily cup of Starbucks. That's your little ritual. Come home, come here and, you know, like celebrate this every morning, which is on the one hand feeding right into capitalism. But on the other hand, that Starbucks knew my drink. And when I walked into the door, they were already making it before I even got to the register. So that was a little ritual of connecting with people who knew me and having, you know, my my morning beverage. And and it's little things like that, that we that you're absolutely right. We should recognize that there are already rituals in our lives, but that's just not how we're taught to think anymore. Right. Because there's something well, it's not good for the market, right? <laughs> yeah. If you stop for a second and just go, I'm going to breathe, right? <gasps> just one good, you know, one good inhalation, exhalation. It's like, wait a minute. What were you doing? How did that contribute? How did that grow the GDP? What are you doing? Why are you thinking? Why are you stopping? Why are you recognizing? It is interesting. It's like anathema. It seems to be anathema to effectiveness, like anathema to utility value. When you see a corporation, it's going to have, oh, we're going to have a new wellness program for our uh, our workers. You're like, you know, that's they don't give a shit about oh. my wellness. They just want me to be able to pack boxes faster. And they realize if they give us an eight second break, we'll do it. Yeah. There is a book called McMindfulness. I think <laughs> Ronald Purser is the author. Uh -huh. And that's exactly what he talks about is how all these corporations have these quote unquote mindfulness programs where you can like take 15 minutes out at your desk and talk to, you know, someone who's going to help you meditate. And their real job is to make you forget how much you hate this job that's making you do things you don't like to do, that's not paying you enough to live, that's keeping you away from things you really want. But you meditate for 15 minutes and they say, think about how calm you are. But it's it's not actually helping your mental health because it's it's not addressing the problem in any way. It's just trying to distract you from it. Right. It's an induction. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Which works. Which works. I mean, there, it goes back to spectacle, right? There's spectacles where the spectacle is an emergent phenomenon of the people who are there. And there's spectacles that are planned indoctrinations into something. And, and it's, I think it's important we know the difference, you know? And that's, you know, as you set an intention for why you're gathering, for what you're doing. And if your intention isn't the same as the people organizing the thing, then, you know, kind of move on right i was invited to some kind of giant ayahuasca week session in south america for for like leadership and it's like leadership leaders is who for the leaders is all for leaders and it's like oh fuck i'm not going to that <laughs> so you think you're a leader oh my god yeah it's time to time you'll either get to have a very humbling experience or a very distorted one on this on this chemical yeah Ugh. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you, Aurora. That's a, uh, it's beautiful. Thank you very much. I appreciate your thoughts. Yeah. Reg. Hi. Um, long time listener, first time caller. Hey, good to see you. 
you've asked on your podcast a number of times, like who's the next John Waters, who's the next Timothy Leary or William Burroughs or whoever. And my knee jerk reaction is just answer that because there are people doing that work and who deserve to be recognized. But then the question becomes, why aren't they? You know, why don't they occupy that space? Is it that Mm. that space only exists in retrospect because the present is messy and we've all bought into this self-fulfilling prophecy that our best days are behind us? Or is it that that people aren't interested in that anymore? You know, that young people are more risk averse and not so interested in in hyper individualism or subversion or, you know, you spend a lot of time around young people. You might have some insight into that. You know, as you talk, I prefer the former. In other words, I started to think about that Woody Allen movie, Midnights in Paris, which is really kind of interesting. It's this movie where they keep like going back a century and each time they go back to like whatever this classic countercultural period is that we would all go, oh man, to have been alive then it would have been cool. The people then are always saying, "Ugh, our time is so horrible. I wish we could have been alive back then when things were cool. You know, it keeps, keeps happening. And what that kind of forces me to do is to realize, no, we are in the time. You know, I don't know, when I was in college, people always would say, this is going to be the best time of your life, best time of your life. And you're in college and you're like, oh my God, everything sucks. Reagan is president, you know? And, but we would go to punk clubs in New York and, and moan and kick and, and have the WTO protests and things. And I look back and I go, oh my God, or Occupy, to have been an Occupy. My God, it was horrible, but fabulous you know we had the early drag and trans scene we had patty smith and sam shepherd and 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 crime and all the grime and all the horribleness but i I think you're right the the ultra positive way to see it is that the most effective people in real culture or what you might call counterculture but let's just call it the same carrying forward the threads of robert anton wilson and timothy leary and those folks or or Burroughs or Waters or Lynch or whatever, that maybe we're we're less widespread cultural heroes and more mini neighborhood heroes. It's not you don't have to be some middle aged white guy with a giant platform, you know, the way it was then, you know, in the the that you can count them, you know, the Abby Hoffman and this one and that one, these these dudes, these counterculture hero dudes. But you recognize, I mean, you listen to the last two conversations, the last, you know, uh, uh, Brina and Aurora, and it's like, these are heroes, right? These are true heroes make, making transformative music. That I could see that's as important as any Janis Joplin or, or Joan Baez, you know, and what Aurora's doing, and she's doing it mano a mano or whatever it is, you know, a face-to-face, one-on-one. That's yeah, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, you know, and, and anybody else uh, times 10. So maybe the positive way to look at it is, oh, no, there's the Taylor Swifts and the people that are in this kind of power law dynamics of a digital culture. There's going to be super duper heroes. There's going to be, you know, I hate to put them in the same sentence, but, you know, Taylor Swift, Elon Musk, you know, a a few of those, Donald Trump. And then there's going to be hopefully a multiplicity of people. I remember uh, Mika Sifri when he was on the show, God, 10 years ago or more, we were talking about Occupy and how it was this kind of leaderless movement and there weren't any leaders emerging. And he goes, no, I think it's a leader full movement, right? <laughs> There's so many leaders, you can't even name one. And I, I prefer that as the way of seeing it. 
you know, that this sort of 21st century distributed leadership, distributed culture, that it would be, if that's what's happening, it would be more, more resilient and, and uh, uh, ultimately bottom up and generate more traction. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people that, that I could name, but it seems like to get people interested in it, I don't know if it's harder or if it, like I said, it just seems different in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could even take myself as an example. It's like I sometimes think, was there a path for me to become big? I mean, and I consider myself bigger than I would. I, it's weird. I am both bigger than I ever wanted or expected to be, yet I earn less money at doing it <laughs> than I thought I could being very, very small. Because it's just the way it is. We're in a different society. Different things get rewarded. There's only so much out there. I put, I turned on the friggin' ad switch and took a, and I'm in the heat now <laughs> because I have a an office mate. But, you know, welcome to reality. This is it. Uh, maybe I had it. I, I, rather than being sad about how I have it now, I should be thankful for how good I had it for the 10 years before that. But yeah, I mean, you could always recommend a people. It's part of what what we're here for. It's part of what the, um, the 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 salons are about. It's part of what the show's about. Every week, I'm trying to bring another person that you may or may not have heard of. You know, and it's interesting. It's part of what's limited the team human interview as well. You know, there's times when it's like, oh, you know, Joe, you know, Steve Bannon wants to come on Team Human, wants to have a conversation. It's like, well. I'd love to have a conversation with Steve Bannon, but I'm not going to put him as Team U. It's not because <laughs> it's as if every name that's up there is like as we're sort of celebrating as part of this exemplars of our team. But I think it's okay. I think this word of mouth thing. We were just having a conversation about how do people know if there's a good psychedelics therapist or not, you know? And because we're not going to trust these listings and advertising, it's going to be word of mouth. Did your friend go? Do do you know somebody? And moving into that world, it's hard because we won't. No one, we won't have the same kinds of uh, anchor stores of culture, right? The the name recognition ones. But I think we get something better, you know, as like all these local heroes, and and ultimately all of us. Right. I hope. But I hear you. I mean, and I'm, I try not to more. I try not to do that. That's so okay, boomer of me if I do, you know, because I wouldn't want there to be a Timothy Leary today. I think it's good that no one has stepped into that because the couple of people that have tried, you know, they, they admit it, you know, like uh, Daniel Pinchbeck kind of tried for a moment and it was really bad for him and everybody. It's like, no, no, many, 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 many small heroes is definitely the way to go rather than some new dude claiming the space. Well, I would say that that's Duncan Trussell, but you know, huh. who you've had on the show, but the people who should be interested in the Midnight Gospel don't seem to be. That's a remarkable piece yeah. of work, but it doesn't occupy the space that I think it deserves to be. I, when I watched uh, that, when I watched Midnight Gospel on Netflix, I was amazed into it. One, it was like the first truly new use of media I had seen in so long. It was like, this is a miracle. But what it is for people who don't know, it's a podcast. It's sort of podcast interviews, but they're staged as as cartoon adventures that have nothing really to do with what they're talking about on many levels. It's this 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 uh, uh, the, these animations that go along with it, and it's it's so trippy and hyperdimensional and wonderful. But you know, and then when I saw it wasn't renewed, I was like so sad. Oh no! But then I'm thinking, you know, this is Netflix. This is a multi zillion dollar corporation. Eight of them that are there are a beautiful thing. It kind of does reach a sort of conclusion in the last episode with his mother who's dying and they have this beautiful conversation. And rather than mourn the fact 
that didn't happen more and more of it doesn't happen. I want to celebrate the fact that it did. I walked around in Austin with Duncan Trussell. Everybody recognizes him and loves him that that he's supported for doing this work. And God bless, you know, that's if Duncan Trussell's scale is as big as it gets to be doing this work effectively, then in some ways I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem that I have to teach, have to get to teach at Queens College to support my public intellectual habit. You know, that's that's mm. keeping it real. And it's much more if you want to live in a society where everybody is an artist and everybody is a thinker, then everybody's going to need a day job, too, of one sort or another. <laughs> right. And it's OK. Thanks. Kale. I'm picking up on a lot of uh, the conversation here because what I was going to talk about is what you started with was your daughter going to college. My daughter is a freshman just out on the West Coast now. And I was curious to see how you're feeling about so my daughter is, like, is going to be an English major and wants to be a writer and a movie maker or all these kinds of things in the context of, you know, the strike going on in her backyard at this point and you know, how you know, the pressure on the artists and words overall are just so, so strong, right? And AI, I know you've had some episodes about that and just, you know, trying to, I mean, what I believe is that she should be an artist as long as she can. And I love hearing some of these things you're saying about being a local sort of, uh, instead of worrying about being Taylor Swift, being somebody local like some of our... Uh, on the call so yeah I, I guess you know just trying to feel what your you know optimism i hope for your daughter and for for others as far as like trying to stay the course and not you know major in business which is you know <laughs> my daughter hears from other people and when they hear she's you know majoring in english they're like really still people still do that when they zig you zag but i understand that the the gist of what you're talking about is yeah i mean it was funny i got a text from my daughter last night there, there's like most of the courses are overcrowded in her college so she and her friends wanted to find one that there wasn't a wait list for because they didn't want to be anxious about whether they get into the course so they found this course like some super advanced english course in chaucer before the canterbury tales where they're analyzing some <laughs> crazy vision quest poem of of chaucer it's like oh my god and i was like oh my god she's gonna start texting me like she's freaked out and then afterwards she's like oh my god he's so funny and then, and then she was like what does it mean to major in the classics and i was like oh my god other than being unemployed for the rest of your life here's what it means but i'm a zig when they go zag i think that if you understand, as Norbert Wiener told us, that digital technologies are going to surpass us in utility value across the board, they're going to be stronger than us, faster than us, able to calculate better than us, maybe even a better able to create commercials and corporate spectacle than we are, because those are formulaic manipulations of people, then you don't go into those fields, right? The, the fields you want to go into in an era of AI are the most humanist, liberal arts, thoughtful, and considered ones. The, the, I understand why some kids look at the triumph of capitalism and the technocracy and think, I better run to STEM so I know how to program these things, or uh, business so I know how to, uh, to capitalize off these things. I'm going the other way. I would go, especially if you're in college, which is already, I mean, special, put it that way. Mm. Uh, you know, just go deeper. Use college to get deeper into learning what does it mean to be a human being, to have a deeper appreciation and understanding of 
the human experience so that whatever you end up doing for a job, if you have one, you're going to live a more enriched life. The same reason they came up with, with education, public education to begin with. I always talk about this. So the coal miner would be able to come home from work and have the dignity to be able to read a book or read the newspaper and have a, a dignified experience of life. You know, so absolutely go for the humanities. I mean, the other half of me was kind of um, on some level, I'm glad my daughter gets to go to college and read Chaucer and have a deep mm -hmm. experience of life. I mean, you know, amen, where where I'm privileged enough for her to get to do that. But really, people should be learning uh, sustainable agriculture. You know, if she had wanted to go straight from high school to learn permaculture or something something to help us survive <laughs> you know some i don't want to call them post-civilizational skills but um, skills that don't demand participation in these long crazy supply chains i don't want her to have to you know if you learn to specialize in like mortgage actuarial work in a cubicle that's sort of the those are the first things that get that get replaced by tech and they're just participating in the thing that's really kind of breaking anyway but yeah, I mean, uh, in the world that I'm imagining where everybody's an artist and everybody contributes to the food and nourishment and nurturing and child rearing and all that. Yeah, go for it. Do literature. Why not? You know, someone's going to have to carry us through the desert, as it were, you know, the metaphorical desert to the next civilization. And it might as well be our daughters. You know, sounds good to me. That's great advice, Doug. Thank you so much. Sure. And hey, Joseph, I've been seeing your your tweets and things. You been communicating a lot in various media more than I can respond to but it's been fun reading and watching you uh, talk about all sorts of stuff and the, the insights that you've been been sharing on uh, in various places how are you doing now so first I want to send you Douglas and everyone here endless waves of love and appreciation really deeply deeply appreciate who you are and what you're doing and all of this you know, being here with each other. Oh, thank you. So you've written eloquently and powerfully about cultivating awe, and which I, I, I greatly appreciate. And after years of noticing customers in town and workers and even store managers looking so bummed out about life and kind of alone together, I found that sharing sincere words of appreciation and kindness with people that I encounter when I go to the pharmacy or the doctors or, you know, the supermarket creates a profound experiences of awe between us and bystanders who notice the exchanges. And so I created these little what I call happy cards that have some of these words of appreciation and validation on them. And I hand them to people and say, this is for you for being such a great human being, being so kind and, and helping me and others. And typically they'll put their hand on their heart, take a step back and say, wow, you just made my whole day. Or they'll say something like, you know, the world needs more people like you. Uh -huh. And then I'll say, you are more people like me. <laughs> so, so I just love I'm, the oxytocin is flowing all over the place. You know, it's such a beautiful feeling and people standing around me are going, oh, that's so cool. And then I hand them a card and they go, oh, I get one too. And so I thought this is so powerful way to kind of activate our humanity 
I want to create this as a social good business, a revolutionary type of business. So like I printed up these cards and I put them for sale on my site as a collection of kindness cards you could share with people you meet in life. So you could have this experience too. So what I'm wondering is, how do you see a way for me to, I hate to use the expression scale this up, but you know, to be successful with this type of endeavor. Uh, it's a hard one to do as a business because it's so natural, you know? It's like, I, rather than making cards for people to give out, you know, you want to give them the fishing rod, right? I mean, it's like, oh, because anybody could start doing this. I think what makes it special and uniquely Joseph Siegel is the idea itself and the experiences and training that you have gotten over time ritualizing grace, right? Which is really what you're doing. You're ritualizing and acknowledging grace. So this person treated you well, they offered you grace, and you acknowledge it, you confirm it, you validate it, and celebrate it. And yeah, there's ways to do that and ways not. If everybody got these little cards and just had the cards, sure, they wouldn't really even necessarily really know how to use it. It's like, look, I want to get ahead online. Can I give you this card? <laughs> Let me in front. You're like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what it's for. It's not to get a favor from someone. Is it? Okay, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? And people won't necessarily understand. But I think what you could do, this is like one of what I'm sure you have are like, 10 great ideas for people to begin validating and acknowledging each other, whether it's like we we're talking before, creating rituals, which is what this is. This is a ritual of thanks, a ritual of, of validation for people. A ritual, I like to look at it as a, a ritual for growing human kindness. Mm -hmm. So when I'm interested in is not selling the cards, although I'm sure you could as part of it, you know, you make the cards and explain the ritual is almost the book or the podcast or the articles on what are these rituals for human mm. kindness. And so that people then not only you do the ones, 80% of the people will do the rituals that you've organized for them, but 20% of the people will be able to understand from what you're saying, how to engineer and build their own. You know, I think that's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but it's the, the, and it's not patentable, but the expertise, I feel like, is what you could sell more than the trinket. Although I could see doing a first set of cards if they're really sweet. So there's some sense of value to them, you know, that they're pretty in some way so that people understand. I could see that selling, too. But the more important thing is these technologies and rituals of, of human kindness is, is, you know what I mean? It feels like the bigger the bigger thing. But yeah, I'd go for it. I'd, I'd buy a deck of little cards that I could, you know, and then you got to put in those rules. Don't just fucking give them out, you know, because if they if, if you just give them to everyone all the time, it's like, ah, eh. it's like in my daughter's nursery school where every day they got a little plastic jewel at the end of the day, just for like making it through the day. I mean, I guess, but <laughs> like, can't you? There's no. I, no yeah. Yeah. I find that like life brings me what the energy that I bring to it. 
So if I'm all closed off and in, into my fear and worry and whatever, and I kind of, I don't see people around me and they don't see me, but if I kind of feel good about myself, so I always start like to start with a, a self-compassion ritual every morning. I put my hands on my heart and and say, I, I love you just the way you are. I appreciate you. And, and they, you know, kind of pour some love into my own heart. So that because life is hard right now and uh, it's always been hard for me uh, my whole life really but it's exceptionally hard all at once with my mom passing away a couple months ago Mm. an eviction struggle i'm going through and then getting covid it's like bam 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 but so i start with self-compassion and then when i go out to do my shopping which is like the only time i'm around people I notice that all of a sudden people are really friendly and they'll there will be openings for me to to look someone in the eye and say something like god that that is just an amazing pendant you're wearing or i love that color on you or you're doing such a great job with packing my groceries in such an orderly way that's going to really help me you know and uh, it opens up conversations around me with other people in line and and the, the workers, the people working, will say, oh, wow, you know, thank you so much. I'm, you know, I'm going to share this with other people, you know. And I could see that, mm-hmm. like, they're then being friendlier to the next person in line. Yeah, for sure. It's a way of paying something forward. And, you know, I'm sorry for what you went through. I've gone through a really hard time over the past couple of months, too. And what I oh, keep reminding myself is that, it's those of us who've experienced, you know, true despair, you know, those of us who've experienced those really hard feeling in some way are equipped to experience appreciation in, in other ways, in other ways, too, you know, to hit bottom one way or another, even without being a, an alcoholic or a sex addict or whatever it is in the 12 steps, we're all in a 12 steps program here. We're all living life. We're all making mistakes. We're all getting trapped by ego and all this other stuff. And when you do touch down, when you do hit bottom, you also realize that hitting bottom means being forced to put your feet back on the ground and stand up and be here with the rest with the rest of humans to recognize there's a, a higher power or a bigger thing or that there's awe, that there's other people and a human organism. And um, it leads to a much better place. Not all the time, you know, it's not great, but it's like what Brenda started us with today, um, which is why this actually might be a nice, a nice place to end. Where Brenna started us today is, is uh, subverting the trauma, subverting the trauma. You know, it starts with the trauma. We're all in trauma. I know people are mad, the coddling the American mind people are all mad that we use the word trauma too much, but it's a right word for it. It's fucking traumatic, man. And people did stuff to us when we were kids. Sorry, it wasn't safe. They did stuff to me. I mean, we got trauma right here in River City, you know, with a capital T. And to develop more and more mechanisms and opportunities to, to acknowledge the trauma and to acknowledge those who are dedicating their lives to lifting us out of trauma, to ritualizing our passage to the next 
fucking realm, you know, to just acknowledge a someone at a drugstore who brought you your prescription in a friendly way after having to dig through the whole basket of, of other stuff that wasn't in good alphabetical order before they brought it to you, you know, that's the mitzvah. That's why we're here. That's those are those are the the defining moments for Team Human, and what uh, ultimately what these little kibitz rooms and what this whole show is about: locating, recognizing, celebrating, and sharing. So thanks for that. Thank you. Thank you. I could, that's about an hour. I guess is that. Uh, it seems like a good ending for a thing if we're going to have one, because uh, kind of encapsulated everybody i'm thankful for this i'm in 96 degrees in here so i'm gonna open the door to all the noise but thank you thank you everybody thanks for being here oh i see sean wilson's there hey man uh uh, wow hey bob fish i recognize these names now it's kind of fun jordan is there faye is there he's there from the other realm so hey everybody thanks hey awesome Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll see you next month, if not before. And thank you for being on Team Human. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. We'll be back next week with another regular conversation. I don't know if they're so regular, but the regular kind of conversation, the regular kind of extraordinary conversation that we have on Team Human. We'll see you then. I'm Douglas Frushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. And to all my new Brazilian friends, ciao. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.